Good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are, you are on equal footing with Dove Tuzman. And we have some uh, pretty extraordinary subject matter to cover tonight. Our show is about secret, sacred gatherings and groups. Sacred gatherings and groups. What are cults and are they harmful? Now, this is a very personal subject for me. I, perhaps for the first time ever in a public setting, am going to admit here right, right now that I have been a member of a cult. I have been exposed to and around organizations that, that some would call cults. I'm not so sure. It's what we're going to get into tonight. And although cult is kind of a four-letter word, and we think of you know, mass suicide and apocalyptic predictions and all sorts of things that are, that are harmful. There's a documentary out on Netflix right now about uh, the cult. I think I'm getting the name right, NVXM that uh, had people branding their sexual organs and so forth. I mean, just horrible stuff. But on the other hand, would we have the major religions of the world if it wasn't for a cultic beginning? What is the dividing line between something we call a cult and a new movement, whether it's religious or humanistic, that challenges our preconceptions and can bring people closer to deeper understanding in the spiritual path and closer to God? That's a tough question. Again, sacred gatherings and groups. What are cults and are they harmful? We have a couple of amazing guests tonight, Dan Shaw and Tom Stab, And I'm going to, I believe that they're both uh, here on the line uh, with me. We may have just lost Dan. He'll call back in. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on these two gentlemen. Just very fortunate to not only have them on the show, but willing to delve into difficult material and very personal material. Daniel Shaw is an expert, world-renowned expert on cults and coercive psychology. He's a psychoanalyst in private practice in the New York area. He's on the faculty of the National Institute of Psychotherapies. His papers have appeared in Psychoanalytic Inquiry, Contemporary Psychoanalysis, and other academic publications. And his recent book, Traumatic Narcissism, Relational Systems of Subjugation, was nominated for the prestigious Gradiva Award. In 2018, the International Cultic Studies Association, yes, there is an International Cultic Studies Association, awarded Dan the M.T. Singer Award for advancing the understanding of coercive persuasion. Dan, welcome to Equal Footing. We are also joined by Tom Stab. Now, I've had the joy and honor to know Tom for... Oh, gosh, uh, 30-ish years. Tom is a respected academic and Zen Buddhist. After graduating from Harvard University in 1995, he started his career in corporate America at Procter & Gamble, but soon found that that was bereft of meaning and was impelled to dedicate more of his life to the spiritual path. 
1997, Tan became a dedicated meditation practitioner in Siddha Yoga, an organization I think we're going to touch on tonight, and he was a full-time devotee in their ashram. In 2003, Tom met his Zen teacher, and ever since he's been a member of the Zen Study Society of New York and is a Rinzai layman in the samurai tradition of Zen Buddhism. Since 2007, Tom has taught high school and world history and world religions at prestigious institutions, first at Dwight School in New York City and currently at the St. Andrew School in Boca Raton, Florida. Tom, welcome. Dan, welcome. Thanks for being on Equal Footing. Thank you. All right, let's dive right in, guys. First of all, you guys are much more erudite on the subject of the definitional parameters of a cult. I literally just looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary before this show, and I found two, to me, different, I'm not sure about uh, contradictory, but two very different definitions. And Dan, I'd like you to help us parse this out. One is, a rel- I'm just reading directly from the dictionary, a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others to be strange or sinister. That was definition one. The second definition I found was a group with a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. To me, those seem pretty different. (laughs) You can be, I mean, I'm thinking like I'm a Star Wars fanatic. You know, I have a daughter who, you know, collects... uh, uh, whatever those American girl dolls. I mean, we're both fanatic about about things. Does that mean I'm part of a cult? Dan, help us out here. What what is a cult? Well, there the, there are various definitions. Some of them, uh, the sociologist Yanya Lalich has an excellent definition, and Michael Lingone of the International Cultic Studies has an excellent definition. I have my own definition. I'm going to. Uh, it's, it's perhaps idiosyncratic, but what I believe is that a cult is a group of people of any size, large or small, following a messianic leader who proclaims a certain kind of mission. The members of this group following this leader do not achieve any mission other than persuading the leader of his delusion of omnipotence. So a cult is a group of people who are all involved in maintaining the leader's delusional state of perfection, superiority, what I call omnipotence. And that's my definition. So I've heard the word infallible used in the cultic studies area. Is that the same thing? That's a leader that can do no wrong? Is that is that a definitional must for a cult? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the cult, uh, you know, we know, uh, national cults like, uh, the cult of Mao Zedong or Stalin. These are, these are authoritarian leaders who cannot be questioned and, uh, you know, who's, who's, whose uh, mission is purportedly one thing, you know, the uplifting of the people. But the people don't get uplifted. They get starved. They get tortured. They get brainwashed. What the leader achieves is his own self-aggrandizement. And that's how I would define a cult. So I'm going to ask some questions that may get me kicked off the air uh, tonight. But, you know, let's put it out there for callers also to meditate on. 
does that make is Christianity a cult? I mean, we had an infallible, infallible leader in Jesus Christ right at the beginning of that religion. This is a particularly interesting week to be talking about that because, as many listeners know, it's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. Uh, Rosh Hashanah starts in uh, 30, say less than a day and a half, or less than 20, about 24 hours at this point. And this week in the Bible, we look at the story of the almost sacrifice of Isaac. Everyone listening is probably, whether you're Jewish or not, you, you know, uh, from the, in the Abrahamic traditions, which includes Judaism and Christianity and Islam, there's all a patriarchal, uh, in all those religions, there's a patriarchal reference to, to Abraham. And in this portion of the Bible, Abraham is asked by God to, to sacrifice his son. And that, is pretty intense. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing that might happen within a horrible cult. So does that mean the Abrahamic religions have a cultic uh, essence or origin story? Our number for callers to, to call in on this issue of sacred gatherings and groups, what are cults and are they harmful, is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. We are blessed tonight to have two extraordinary gentlemen talking about this subject and on very personal terms. Dan Shaw is a psychoanalyst and an expert on cults. Tom Stab, who's a respected academic and Zen Buddhist. And we're going to get into this topic. If you're too shy to be on the air live with your voice, you can always text me a question at 917-428-4062. It's 917-428-4062. Tom, do, do you agree with with Dan, is a what is a cult about for you, and what's been your personal journey in reference to cultic community? Yeah, I think uh, Dan's definition is is very helpful, um, as opposed to the two dictionary definitions that you just offered. I think um, Dan's definition does get more at the, the heart of the problem um, that, that we see in, in cults. And um, to, to be clear, I've been a part of two religious groups rooted in Eastern traditions, um, the first of which I would concede um, does, um, does resemble a cult, um, or, it, or is a cult. Um, whereas uh, the second, um, the Zen Buddhist community, of which I, I still am a part, um, we ran into some trouble, and we had uh, our scandal. Um, but um, I, I would um, argue is is not a cult. Um, although we, you know, we, we bordered on some of these challenges. Um, so to to get uh, specific about that, um, I I do uh, agree that there there are some real dangerous associations with the messianic quality um, of, of Guru Mai uh, and Siddhi Yoga, with which we're all three familiar. Um, and yet, at the same time, I derived a really positive experience from that, um, which we can kind of uh, discuss later. Um, I think perhaps it is possible for some folks to have um, positive, healthy experiences from such organizations. Whereas with the, the latter organization, um, the Zen Study Society, uh, really uh, addressed its scandal uh, head-on, looked at it straight in the face, 
um, articulated ethical guidelines. Mm-hmm. We uh, essentially excommunicated um, our charismatic leader and started afresh and started anew. And I don't see we're perfect, but I think we, we did a, a terrific job of really addressing the problems that reveal themselves in our community. Well, Tom, you let something out of the bag, and that's that you and Dan and myself all have, I don't know, about a secret you know, common experience, but we have a common experience that we're going to be open about on this show, which we've all been devotees in Siddha Yoga. Dan, do you want to share with our listeners from your perspective what Siddha Yoga is about? You were perhaps more involved or you were in a leadership position that, that, that neither Tom or, or myself were in. I, I was for about 13 years and most of my 30s. Uh, when I left, it became clear that I had ignored way too many kinds of red flags. One of them were the rumors of the sexual abuse of the uh, original leader, Swami Muktananda. He was claimed, claimed by uh, Dan, whistleblowers. I, I, I apologize for the interruption. Can you take a step back for our listeners and explain what is City Yoga in the first place? Our, our, oh, we, yeah. we have a lot of, of listeners, listeners interested in faith, open-minded, and on their own spiritual path, and they might, in one way or another, connect with the, the mission, let's say, of, of, of that organization. Sure. Siddhi Yoga is uh, led by an Indian guru originally, that was Swami Muktananda. He was later succeeded by two different leaders who split. I followed the, the, the leader known as Guru Mai. Um, the, the, uh, the organization promoted meditation as a spiritual practice that would uplift and enlighten uh, leading to the possibility of recognizing that God dwells within you as you and to see God in each other. Those were the mottos of City Yoga. Those are pretty uh, common kind of archetypal foundational principles for, for religion, right? That God dwells in each of us, that we treat each each of us with the with the dignity that we'd like to be treated. So those seem pretty harmless. Exactly. And of course, I, I was drawn to it uh, and had profound experiences of meditation, of spiritual peace, bliss, connection. Those were very compelling experiences, and I decided to pursue my involvement, and I went all in uh, after about a year, uh, only a year of being exposed. Uh, as I as I entered the organization, I heard rumors that the Guru Muktananda had been a sexual predator and pedophile. I chose to ignore those rumors. That's right, and I chose to ignore those rumors because my experience had been so beautiful and so powerful. I just felt that it couldn't be true. Uh, as I continued to be involved over the course of many years, I was. Uh, more and more exposed to Guru Mai herself. And what I witnessed was um, unusual cruelty towards her followers. And Guru Mai is the, is the current, uh, pardon me, Guru Mai is the current spiritual head of this organization. That's right, that's right. Uh, she is the person I worked under and came to work fairly closely with. And... Um, so witnessing that cruelty, um, humiliating others, 
belittling others, um, uh, you know, um, intimidating others, and and controlling people's lives at the micro level in ways that were often harmful to those people. Um, ultimately, I left because of a major expose in the New Yorker magazine in 1994, and it's as though my eyes were open. I had seen so much abuse. What I didn't know until after I left was the extent of the sexual abuse by the predecessor, Swami Muktananda, who had died. I didn't know how pervasive that was, how many young girls uh, at, at age 13, 14, 15, 16, he had preyed upon and abused sexually. Um, I didn't know the extent of it until I began to talk to several of those women who were abused and until I heard reports from many other people who had left the organization. What I came to realize that the sexual abuse that was kept a secret, that was protected, that was lied about, was... Uh, representative of something rotten at the core of the organization. Leaders who really solely cared for their own self-aggrandizement, even, even while seeming to be, uh, you know, remarkably charismatic and uh, caring about uh, followers. So, um, I, yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I honor your courage for opening up about that in this in this format i know you deal with others involvement in cultic organizations and abusive relationships and, and so forth but it, that's not the same as opening up about your own experience so thank you dan we're going to take a break and come back what i'd like our guests and our audience to think about is despite the horrors that can occur in cult as dan just referred to coercion and exploitation and you'd, you'd have to be living under a rock to not hear some of these stories you may not know about the story of city yoga that dan just uh, elucidated but you've probably heard of others and at the same time i'll leave you a little bit of a controversial statement before the commercial break i mean world history and american history in particular because we, we live in a country that is as free as can be, as, as a paragon in that sense for the world around religious freedom, our history is rife with religious groups that were seen as cults and were exploitative in ways that have been discussed and, and proven in a historical context. I mean, you think of Mary Baker Eddy and her her followers. She was the founder of Christian Science, the Mormon Church that was united around the devotion to Joseph Smith and 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 others that in the beginning were not only coercive, but there were definitely exploitative behaviors, including uh, physical abuse and sexual abuse, and now they've blossomed into groups of faith that serve an important uh, role in the world and in, in, the, in the fabric of world religion. Our number is 718-303-9090, and you can also text me a question if you're shy about being on air at 718, excuse me, at 917 4062. You're on equal footing with Dove Tusman, and we will be right back. Equal 
Cool Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Hi, you're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman. Our guests, Dan Shaw and Tom Stab, respected academics and spiritual seekers, have both in their lives, as have I, been members of organizations that upon retrospect, I think all three of us would refer to as cults. And yet, Tom, before the break, you were talking about the positive that can come from being in an organization even that does have certain negative characteristics and I was spurred to mention this what at least from my perspective is a really difficult distinction between kind of a baby religion and a cult and there was a a sociologist and cult expert that, Dan, you may be familiar with at Concordia University in Montreal. Her name is Susan Palmer, and she's not a psychologist. But she says, psychologists would have you see cult leaders as having delusions of grandeur, but I see them as baby religions. And, you know, it's estimated that new religious movements spring up at a rate of about 50 to 100 per year globally, and few survive. But I think all three of us, and I would imagine the vast majority of our listeners, would agree that freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of, of whatever your faith and your spiritual life is, is absolutely core to a democracy and to a healthy society. So are cults always bad, Tom? Uh, Khalil, um, though I really want to accept your invitation to look at this from a uh, historical perspective, because um, for, for, to start... Um, I am not persuaded that there is a meaningful distinction uh, between um, baby religions and the, the well-established religions in this country. And um, first of all, I do want to uh, affirm um, the what, what you stated about the religious freedom of this country is really, I believe, the most beautiful aspect of, of the American society in which we live. And as you pointed out, you know, um, Christian Science and, and the Mormon Church, you know, were, were um, baby religions that were certainly um, perceived as as cults um, at the time, and arguably the well-established dominant uh, religious groups in our country today um, had origins um, that weren't weren't much different, and um, and they also suffered uh, abuses um, that aren't too different from what we see in cults. So, um, you know, so I would I would argue that you know that that there isn't 
necessarily a meaningful distinction, um, and that you know maybe the differences that the, the, the what are seen as cults are baby religions. However, I would also challenge that, particularly when it comes to the Eastern faiths of which I've been a part, and um, you know I. I, I teach world history, and I've studied the the, the traditions of, of each of these uh, faiths in in depth, and these are uh, rooted in um, thousand-year-old traditions. Um, so, um, for my current community, uh, the Zen Buddhist community, I take uh, pride in our rootedness in history and tradition, and we are not a baby religion. Um, we are new uh, to this country, and um, you know may. Um, you know, uh, you know, seem seem novel um, in, a, in a variety of ways, um, but we are, are firmly rooted in an ancient religious tradition that's just as old or older than the uh, mainline religions in this country. Now, when it comes to city yoga, I would argue that that too is rooted in uh, a Hindu tradition. Uh, so, specifically, the Sanskrit the Sanskrit phrase "tatvam asi" is "thou art that." articulates the notion of non-dualism, that um, you and God are one, or uh, God is living through you as you. These are ancient Hindu perspectives, and I think that's at the core of, of Siddhi Yoga. So although there's a, a kind of a, a, a fresh uh, lineage that became, I think, you know, deeply flawed and, and is, is currently um, you know, uh, mired in, in some delusional trouble, um, it, in my opinion, is is connected to an ancient uh, tradition. So I, I, I don't think um, these, these, these two communities of which I've been a part are, I would not, baby religions. I think they're, they're, um, they're just new to, to this American soil. You know, that's very insightful. Buddhism is the second largest religion in the world in terms of adherence. It's substantially larger than, than Christianity. And we come with a frame of reference. I'm, I'm Jewish. You're a, you're a Buddhist. Dan's Jewish, but I don't want to presume the, your level of, of adherence or observance, Dan. I, I'm going to quote, I'm going to, this is a direct quote. You're immediately going to know where it's from. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. Okay, that's obviously Genesis 22. That it, was Abraham part of a cult, Dan? He was, he was ready. We know we know the story, right? He went up to Moriah. He was ready to sacrifice his only son. So how many centuries have scholars been arguing, understanding, and um, creating exegesis of the Torah? I am not a biblical scholar nor an expert, and I'm aware of the profound discourse around understanding Torah. So I don't want to presume to know how to address that. What I, what I want to say is a couple of quick things. I'll try to be brief. But Tom's group that you described, Tom, your group self-corrected after you after you realized you've been derailed because of a of a faulty leader, a leader who was flawed in a harmful way. When your group self-corrected, you did what cults never do. They never acknowledge the 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 problematic, harmful, destructive aspects of the leader, and that's what makes it a cult. Uh, also, um, 
you know, uh, sociologists who, uh, those of us who are cult experts think of as cult apologists, they do not have direct contact with the victims of cults who come to us as mental health experts in, in, in the area of cults. They don't see the profound shattering of lives that occurs in these groups. They don't see the way that people have been exploited, abused, sometimes even tortured and trafficked. And as a cult expert, those are things that I do see. I would also maintain that for cult experts, the amount of people coming out of the Mormon church and out of Christian science who report horrible abuses, who report ideologies that, that end in death and destruction for members, you know, those groups may have mainstream credibility, but if you're an expert in the world of cults, you've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who've left those groups reporting horrific abuses. So I, I, I think I think the key point is the point Tom made, that his group, looking at harm, was able to self-correct in a meaningful, communal way. And that that means that this group did not succumb to the destructiveness of cult, cult behavior. So we're, we're on equal footing with our guests, Dan Shaw and Tom Stab. We're talking about sacred gatherings and groups. What are cults and are they harmful? Our number is 718-303-9090. If you want to call in, we have a couple of callers waiting and we you can also text me a question if you're shy about being on the air, 917-428-4062. And I've got a couple of text questions. One of them I'm going to get to in a moment. So on the table, we have two different cultic or potentially cultic experiences. We, we're talking about City Yoga. Tom, you were talking about the, your Zen uh, community from the early aughts. And... In both cases, there was sexual exploitation. And in one case, there was an eternal auditing. There was an accounting. Tom, you were describing how the organization, if I understood correctly, kind of kicked out the, the offending parties. And as I understand it, Dan, that didn't happen in City Yoga. So is that, Not at all. Is that the is that the key definitional difference between kind of a baby religion, if you would, or a new religious movement? And, and a cult, whether they self-correct against, against coercive behavior? I think that's an important uh, variable to, to be aware of, that um, healthy communities do not allow members to be harmed when they report harm. It's, because, it's explored, it's looked into, uh, victims are believed, and action is taken to correct the problem. That's a healthy community. An unhealthy community or a cultic community uh, absolutely uh, sends as much energy as possible to silence and vilify anybody who speaks up against abuse. And that's just one of the chief uh, features of cults. Okay. Um, I'm going to read a pretty tough question. And for some of our listeners, I want you to gird yourself. I feel this is an authentic spiritual dilemma so I'm going to read it I'm, gonna, I'm going to leave one part out uh, for, for I think it's appropriate the someone has texted in a question that I was involved for many years 
through my family with Chabad. And many listeners know what that is, and it's uh, an organization, a progressive uh, Orthodox Jewish organization that blossomed in the kind of the mid 20th century, but dates back, I think, if I'm not mistaken, to the early 18th or late 17th century, the Lubavitcher movement. Uh, I never was good enough. I have read that not being good enough is part of what defines a cult. Is Chabad a cult? Dan, what do you think about that? Well, honestly, um, Chabad is a very tight-knit community of people who agree to observe rituals and customs uh, out of a shared sense of spiritual uh, growth, spiritual depth. And I'm sure that there are uh, individuals who have felt harmed in that group. Whether, whether or not it's a cult, uh, I, I can't say. I'm not familiar with the, the process that um, is available to people who want to report harm. I know of some groups uh, where harm cannot be reported without the, the whistleblower being vilified and attacked. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I've... I, been uh, exposed to Chabad as such a group, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lay any claim. However, individuals who know they, who feel they have been harmed within a community, if there's no process for them to to be heard and to be um, believed, then we might be looking at a group within within the context of a cult. So, not being good enough for presumably the, the leader or a leader is not is not is an, perhaps a necessary but insufficient variable to be defined as a cult I think so. I think so I think what would really determine the matter is if the person had tried to voice these concerns and had been shut down and refused to be heard or listened to or believed then I think you'd be looking at a problematic kind of cult-like situation and Dove, if I may, I uh, don't know the Chabad community well enough to speak on this specifically, um, but it does remind me of some of the things I've heard uh, from practicing Catholics. And I want to be uh, careful to tread in this territory because I haven't been a practicing Catholic myself, and my, my beloved sister is, and so I, I want to say this respectfully, but I do think that... Um, you know, let's let's acknowledge that um, the, the Catholic Church is, is probably um, the most well known for the degree and number of abuse victims, and yet um, uh, humbly submit that they seem to be in the process of acknowledging directly and trying to um, atone for the wrongs that that have gone on in that religious community. And picking up your phrase of "never good enough," uh, that does sound like a refrain I've heard from from uh, from from the Catholic. World and and yet I want to suggest that um, universally on the spiritual path um, to to grow in the spiritual path in every tradition around the world uh, does require some 
relinquishing of the ego or transcending the ego. And I think these messages can be misunderstood or uh, or imbibed in an unhealthy way, but I think they're rooted in uh, the right intention. And so I think um, the the... The utter humility that I've experienced from from Catholics in in my own life has been beautiful, and I think there's there's wisdom there. But I think it can be dangerous if it's like a self-flagellating variety. And similarly, in the Eastern traditions, with the yeah, I've been a part. I think um, transcending the ego or relinquishing the ego can be a beautiful, liberating experience. But it puts us in danger right. of being uh, manipulated uh, by by another, or particularly. A teacher and i think um you know in in the the process of of you know, the the worst thing you can do is then end up serving somebody else's ego and that's precisely when the process becomes dangerous um but i think these are uh, common challenges to every religious tradition that's really insightful you know i consider myself at least on the periphery of chabad i'm kind of a chabad lover i go to chabad houses there are these wonderful uh, missions that exist all over the world that that allow you as a, as a Jewish person, if you're traveling, to always have a place to go for a, uh, a Sabbath dinner and you know services and and for me it's been you know a, a you know pure love and acceptance. So it's 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 interesting to hear this perspective and it sounds like where I'm hearing some common ground here is that any organization be, can, can be polluted, <laughs> whether it's a new religious movement or a thousands-of-year-old religious movement, and the issue is the, right. the auditing and the accounting. And I, I think that's perfectly appropriate to where we are on the calendar, at least on the Jewish calendar, because we're right at the end, we're approaching the end of the, the month of Elul and where we're doing this internal accounting and auditing of our behavior and what we want to fix and change as we go into the into the Jewish New Year. We're going to get to a call I I, I just want to quickly throw in, your listeners are not monolithic. The the Methodist Church on 86th Street in West End of Manhattan is uh, one kind of a community, and the little tiny one off in the Catskills that I knew of was a very oppressive um, uh, and and uh, actually, uh, you know, kind of uh, based on, you know, hating enemies, sort of. You know, it, it was a particular minister uh, within the Methodist Church, who had gone astray. So religions are not monolithic, and within them there can be all kinds of leaders uh, doing various kinds of good or harm. Just want to make that clear. Yeah, that's that's the learning that I'm getting here, and somewhat surprising because I came in to this to this show with a very strong anti-cultic bias, and I'm having to adjust that a little bit at least definitionally, around what sometimes are uh, organizations that can be perceived as cults. We're going to come back in a couple minutes after this commercial break, and we're going to take uh, a call. We'll be right back on Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman. Are you a small or medium-sized business owner who wants to provide a low-cost, effective health benefit for your employees? Or a school administrator who wants to ensure all of your students have the proper vaccines? 
Or maybe you're a parent trying to keep your family's medical records up to date. Well, welcome to DocuVax, an easy-to-use digital locker accessible on your laptop or smartphone that allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information, including immunization records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider. The DocuVax system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings to blood type and allergies. To sign up, go to www.docuvax.com or call 833-859-1933. For as little as $9.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, blood tests, or anything else in your locker. DocuVax medical data is never accessible unless the individual subscriber wants to share it privately using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file and sign up at DocuVax.com. And if your organization is interested in learning about becoming a DocuVax sponsor to get group discounts, please call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. Hi there, you're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tusman, my guests Dan Shaw and Tom Stab. We're talking about sacred gatherings and groups. What are cults exactly and are they harmful? So one sacred group that we all know about are, are Christians. They gather and celebrate the life of, of, a, of Jesus who in many respects, in retrospect, at least could be thought of as a, as a an early cult leader. I'm going to take we're going to take a caller's question on that in a moment. I'd like to read a quote by Jean-François Meyer, who's a renowned Swiss scholar of new religious movements. And he said, you know, if we had been an observer of the religious scene in the year 50 Common Era, I wonder if we would have bet on that small religious group in the corner of the Roman Empire. So this little group gathered around one man today has hundreds and hundreds of millions of of adherents. Stan from Forest Hills, you're on the line, and I think you have a question about Christianity as a cult. Well, I have a general statement about uh First of all, I wish you a Happy New Year. It's coming up, so. <laughs> Absolutely, a new year. Hope things get better for all of us, you know what I mean. Amen. Okay. Uh, I have to say that uh, since I'm not a believer, not a believer in a divine being, gave up uh, Judaism as my faith, but I've long walked away from it, and so forth, that most of these are absolutely uh, uh, what, what you have been talking about. They are, what's the word again? I just forgot it. Oh, my uh, you called them... A cult? Cult. Absolutely. Some are more legalized cults than others. Uh, you talked about the Orthodox, and, you know, uh, most of these Orthodox rabbis who have followings become, and towards the end, think that they are a god, like Schmierson did. That's one of the major problems with Orthodoxy. 
that they get too so involved, they have followers, and they think, well, I'm a god and only... I think we I think we lost Dan, but the interesting observations. We I'm going to take a related question here that we've gotten by by text. This is from anonymous in Philadelphia. As opposed to a baby religion, Christianity has roots in millennia and has a vast global population of followers where so many find meaning and connection. But how do followers reconcile with years of sexual predation? How does one immerse in its spiritual values and address that history at the same time? Tom, that kind of touches on what you were talking about before the break. What's your view on Anonymous from Philadelphia's question? Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to the, the, the health and well-being of its adherence. And I think that's really the assess that Dan presented us with. How healthy are people's relationships to their religious faith? And to be fair, I think it depends on the person. And I think there are some folks that uh, do have unhealthy attachments um, or um, kind of... Um, you know, sublimating their, their ego in, in, in service of someone else or sacrificing their power in some unhealthy ways. And I think that can happen in any religious community. Um, and it all depends on how healthy is that experience. That's, that's hard to, to pin down. And, uh, as, as I suggested, I think the, the, uh, Christian world broadly and the, and the Catholic world specifically is, is going through a process, uh, of, of atonement and looking at, uh, their issues straight on. But even still, I think, um, you know, the religious leadership could, could provide, you know, some, some helpful guidelines in clarifying, you know, what is a healthy relationship with one's own religion? So, so to wrap it up, I think like this notion that I'm never good enough, you know, that degree of self-denial um, is in, in my opinion, unhealthy. And I think, you know, when it, uh, when, when one is called to, uh, demonstrate, you know, that next level of devotion to their, their religious community to prove, you know, that they're, you know, um, you know, their, their, their insider status, there seems to be sort of a, a, a pecking order that uh, emerges in many groups, like how, how hardcore are you about this faith? I think that can lead to some unhealthy relationships for, for lots of people. So, Dan, does that, Wait, sorry, I, I, sorry. Does, does that mean that the onus, in a certain sense, if, if I'm hearing Tom correctly, the onus on whether you're part of a cultic community or not actually sits with you as the follower sits with you as the I, I, that's a, I, I would, can I address that because I think it's important to understand that there are such things as perpetrators and victims including within religious or other kinds of communities and um, perpetrators uh, can can create victims out of out of all kinds of people Bernie Madoff created victims out of some extraordinarily intelligent, creative people with very purposeful lives. And um, it's not because, and you know, his very made us said the reason that they went along with it was because they were greedy. But I think the reason they went along with it was because they believed very made us idealistic promises about you know, uh, his, his Judaism, his willingness to be charitable, and so on. Um, I think it's important that we, within religious communities, carefully 
um, choose how we think about victims and, and, the, and think not to blame them, but to understand what it was that captured them and what it was that enslaved them or subjugated them that, that was coming from the leadership. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Good. These are these are intense questions and valuable answers. I think to many of our listeners, to me, even they are. As I I am on remain to this day on the periphery of organizations that some view as cults. We're going to take a call here from Mary on line one. Mary, you're on the air. What are your questions? What is your question for our guests tonight? Hi, thank you both for sharing your experiences. Um, you know, I've never been in a cult before, so this is probably coming from a maybe ignorant perspective. But one of the things that I'm curious about, and this is, you know, for both Tom, Stab, and Dove, is how, like, why and how were you able to shield your eyes while sensing all of this abuse was going on? Wow. Going for the jugular. Thank you, Mary. Tom, Dan, question also for myself. How, how were we able, how did we shield our eyes? Did we? Did we shield our eyes to what was going on around us in inside of a, a cultic environment, Dan? I, I well, was I, I unaware. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry, I was I was completely unaware uh, at the time that I was uh, devoted to city yoga, and I uh, was a, 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 a resident at the ashram and um, lived there for for six months and was gradually becoming uh, somewhat of an insider, I suppose. Um, but I had no idea um, the allegations um, that existed about um, about you know, the the organization. Um, nevertheless, I could tell. That some people had these unhealthy superstitious attachments to Guru Mai, which uh, frankly I found a little a little disturbing, and I felt lucky that I was able to maintain my own uh, awareness of of you know uh, those pitfalls. And, and frankly, I I still regard my years at City Yoga as uh, as totally positive. I had a really uh, wonderful experience that that uh, I became a. a a dedicated um, meditator, and I still meditate every day um, as a you know as a consequence of, of my positive experiences in that community. So to to, to be fair, I didn't I didn't know at all what was going on, um, and didn't discover that until after I had left the community. But I could tell that there were some unhealthy tendencies, and at the time, I wished that the swamis had addressed it. Um, so, for example, I remember in one public gathering, um, uh, a little girl um, spoke uh, of Guru Mai in these uh, overblown, kind of omniscient, uh, omnipotent sort of ways, and there was kind of like this knowing smile that, like, you know, that may not actually be the case, but there was no effort to, to dispel that little girl's superstitious attachments, and that that bothered me. Um, that's, but but that was all I really saw at the time, and that was enough for me to, to leave that group. I thought that there was, it wasn't quite right, um, but I kept the meditation practice. I took, I took the gifts that that community uh, gave me, and, and I left. Dan, did you shield your eyes? I did, and uh, I only knew that when I left. Um, I think that all, many, uh, m- many human beings are capable 
of shielding their eyes about a relationship. If you've fallen in love, it might take you a while to realize that um, you're, you're not being treated well or you're not really happy or, or, or the person is, is, is dishonest. Uh, it might take you a while to really want to react to that and pick up and say, okay, I'm out of here, because you've invested so much in it, and you believe in it, and you want to think the best and, you know, uh, make the best of it and not give up. So there are a lot of reasons why people don't wake up and see what's before them. Um, and it's not just about, it's not just something that happens in cults. It happens in so many kinds of human relationships. Sure, absolutely. Mary, thank you for your question. I hope that we answered it. Does that give Yeah, no, this is great. Thank you so much, and I appreciate the analogy to relationships because that resonates, I think, probably with everyone who's listening in some way or another. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. And we're going to take one more caller after the break. Our number is 718-303-9090. I'm not sure we'll have time for another caller, but you can also text a question to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman and my guests, Dan Shaw and Tom Stab. I was reflecting on the commercial break that I, it may seem that I evaded that question. Maybe subconsciously I did from that last caller, Mary, about shielding our eyes. And I, I haven't spoken about it a lot on this show, but I was also in the City Yoga community. I might have my two guests beat in terms of the amount of time. <laughs> I was first exposed to it by my mother when I was seven years old in 1978 when Baba Muktananda was was the spiritual master leading that, that group. And I finally really left in a definitive way, I'll admit on this show, not until my early 30s, probably 31, 32 years old. And it took it took me longer, Dan. Then it took you, I applaud you, when the New Yorker article came out in 1994 that exposed the sexual abuses by the previous leader. It took me a number of years, uh, I guess seven or eight, eight or nine years longer to, to leave, and it was painful. I had left behind 
friendships and mentor-mentee relationships, both directions, and in certain sense, I, I felt like a fish out of water. It ended up being a a blessing in disguise, and uh, as so many, you know, we, in, in Judaism, we we think about the the master plan, so to speak, is really being broken down between concealed blessings and revealed blessings. Revealed blessings, obviously, being the obvious simchas, you know, having having a child or getting married or a new job or having financial prosperity and health and so forth. But the concealed blessings in life often come disguised as pain, and that was an incredibly painful experience. But the the re, the concealed blessing was it brought me back to my Jewish faith. It brought me back to a deeper understanding, frankly, of the 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 path of faith and that I'm on now than I think I ever would have had had I not had that that detour so to speak so uh mary i i did shield my eyes i i wasn't directly the the subject of the sexual or physical abuse that took place in that organization but i did know others that told their stories i didn't want to believe them and uh, i think a therapist would say i developed some form of dissociative disorder as a result we've got time for one last caller Joe, you are on the air on equal footing with Dan Shaw and Tom Stab, our guest tonight. Let's make it quick and and uh, right. I just want to reference. I want to reference Jeremiah chapter nine, where it says they will proceed from evil to evil. And I'm wondering if the detective work on this, where it's not just one stop at the evil's door, but maybe several, that you can really piece things together and say these people are actually evil. That's a great question, Joe. Um, I think we've, we've touched that a little bit during the show. Thanks for calling in. Very quickly, Tom and Dan, what's that line? When do you know it's evil? <laughs> evil often comes uh, wrapped in beauty or in love. And I think that's what's so powerful and addicting or, or uh, captivating about not being able to leave. You know, you glimpse something that seems truly to be real in a, a kind of love, a kind of, uh, of beauty. And when you see the evil, you can't reconcile. Wait a minute. How could there be, how could this be evil if this is so beautiful, if there's so much love? And, and that's what makes, I think, it very complicated to, to finally determine, well, in spite of whatever there was of beauty and love, I can't tolerate the evil. The evil has to has to matter, and I have to I have to forsake. I have to give up that beauty and that love because that evil cannot be ignored. It must it must matter. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I just I just mentioned concealed blessings, but it's also looking. You have to be careful the concealed. What, you know, evil, because there is evil in this yeah. world. We're going to need to wrap up. We've been joined this evening on Equal Footing by Dan Shaw, an expert on cults and, and course of psychology, Tom Stab, respected academic and Zen Buddhist. Dan and Tom, thank you so much for joining tonight. I take away from this that there are positive and negative aspects to these uh, organizations, and the key is to be vigilant. The key is to do accounting and to recognize what might be in disguise. Join us next week. Next week, Happy New Year to our Jewish listeners. You've been on equal footing. I've been calling.